Good morning, church. The very first Sunday of the year. What a great place to be. We are, we are here to worship and celebrate. So welcome everyone. Welcome to everyone online. All of our online guests, thank you for tuning in and joining us this morning. So I just had this word on my heart this morning that we can step into this year with confidence because we're standing on a firm foundation. We are standing on the rock. We are standing on the truth. Amen. We have a fortress. We have a place that we can hide in His presence. And that is in you, inside of you every single day, day in, day out. You live with His presence right there. So in light of that, can we all stand? We're going to go into a time of worship. And let's pray together. So. Father, we thank you that we can be confident in you, Lord. Thank you that you are the one who will lift us up, Lord, as we look unto you, the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to stand on your name, that you have given us your name, the name that is above all names. Father, you are so worthy to be praised. You are so worthy of honor and glory. Lord, thank you so much for your power that is alive on the inside of us, Lord. That we get to enjoy being with you, being known by you. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence that is living within us. That we are never alone, that we are never forsaken, but that you will always be with us. Father, thank you that you have set us free. That we might share that freedom with the rest of the world. That we might sing it out that you are the reason that we stand here today. You are the reason. So we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor, Lord. We sing with our hearts. Set a light with your presence. And we thank you for all that you've done. All that you'll continue to do. And we bless your name. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us in the coming, in the going. You are always there. We bless your name. We pray this in your holy name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. So let's worship, let's sing, and let's praise our King.
Every song we say 
Yes, Lord, we lift up our hearts and we sing praises to your name, Lord. Lord, we're so grateful this morning that you are our righteousness, Lord, that you are Jehovah, our righteousness, that you are our shepherd, Lord. Your name is worthy to be praised this morning. Thank you, Lord, that your name is love, that your name is victory, that your name is faithful and true. And Lord, we worship you. We honor you. We praise your name, Lord. We're so grateful, Lord. So grateful to you, Lord, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord. And you were good in 2023, Lord. We know that you're good in 2024, Lord, because you never change. We worship you. We adore you. We praise you. In your holy name, amen. In Psalm 65, 11, it says, You have crowned the year with your goodness and your paths drip with fatness. Now, I know that God doesn't work according to our calendar because uh, He is beyond time, but He has given us a promise here that He will crown your year with goodness and your paths will drip with fatness. So we pray that for every single one of you that you will experience God's goodness in a fresh new way this year. Amen. Amen. So Dee and I have just come back from a week's break in Johannesburg on holiday. Can you believe it? Hey, we left town to go to Joburg and it was empty because I think all the volleys were here and it was such a, we were watching as we were driving to church early this morning, lots of people driving with their trailers, leaving Neisner and we were just so grateful that we live here. (laughs) Really, we're grateful. So if you are a guest with us, Great to have you with us. You have come to the only place on earth where you go down to heaven. (laughs) It's a place called Eden. So I am going to be sharing the offering with you. My name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. And we believe that giving is an expression of worship. And so I'm reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. But here the Apostle Paul is talking about giving specifically to the Corinthian church here. And his premise is that People who've experienced grace should willingly and gladly also practice grace that they've received. And financial giving is one way to do that. And that is the theme of what he's talking about in chapter 8 and chapter 9 here to the Corinthian church. And I'm not going to read chapters 8 and 9. I'm just going to read chapter 8 from verses 1 to 9. And so here Paul starts off and he says, Now brothers and sisters, talking to the the believers that, that were in the Corinthian church, We make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So notice here, he's saying that there is grace giving that is available to you even if you are in affliction or even if you are in poverty, there is still the grace of God that is activated through giving. See, giving is not just a tip to God. And for many people, they think that giving is either a tip or tithing. But here he's talking about grace giving, which is beyond just a tip or tithing. And he's saying here in this portion of Scripture here that their giving was an abundance of joy that overflowed in the wealth of their liberality, even though they were going through a tough time. That 
he was like, man, they still gave because they knew that giving was an expression of grace. Then he goes on and he says, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily. So he's saying that they gave according to their ability and beyond that because it was voluntary. It was voluntary. There we go. So they were giving not out of obligation, but because of inspiration. See, if I feel that it's an obligation to give, then I'm giving because I feel I have a debt to pay. Now, giving is not a debt to pay. Giving is something that I'm inspired to do because I've encountered God's goodness and I believe that he is my provider and he desires the best for me. And so giving is an expression of trust because of what God has already given me. Then he goes on, and this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So there he's saying, this is the key. The way that I can be free in my giving is I first give myself to the Lord. Because when I've given myself to the Lord first, God has my heart. And when God has my heart, he has everything. So amen? amen. So he's saying they first gave themselves to the Lord. So when I'm first giving myself to the Lord and God has my heart, then giving is just a natural thing because I'm now being obedient to what God is telling me to give. I'm not giving out of obligation now to try and keep God happy. No, I'm giving because I know God has my heart and that I'm, I trust him. So my giving is just that expression of trust that my father will never, ever let me down. Then he goes on. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made at the beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. Talking about this gracious work of giving. And then he says, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, speaking, knowledge, and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you also excel in this gracious work. So he's talking about this gracious work of giving. So he's saying, just like you excel in faith, just like you excel in your speaking, just as you excel in your gaining of knowledge and in all of your earnestness, just like you excel in expressing love, he's saying, I also want you to excel in this gracious work of giving. Excel in it. Then he says, I'm not saying this as a command. Say, I'm not putting you under an obligation to do this as a law anymore. But he says this, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love as well. So he's saying that, my giving just shows me where my love is. So as I show and demonstrate my love to God, it's expressed through giving. That's all he's saying here. And then he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Look at the promise here. He's saying that as, I, as my heart gets connected to, to this, look at the great exchange that I begin to experience. It can, disconnects me from a sense of lack, from a sense of not having enough because I'm now connected to the grace of God. And what does the grace of God show me? That though he was rich, he became poor for my sake so that I can experience this great exchange where I can let go of poverty and know that God desires for me to be rich. That's what he's saying here. He's saying these words, you know, you know, emphasized that you've personally experienced God's grace. And grace is something that has been given for free. It's God working in your heart where it's no longer this outside in. It's now the inside out. And so God has got my heart and I've been caught by the grace of God that he gives so freely that specifically uh, this, this grace where even though I was dead, 
God came and made me alive, that God has shown me through his birth, through his life, through his crucifixion, through his humiliation, that the gift of salvation and the gift of God's goodness is available to you as sinners. That it's been by God's grace that God is, this, he says here, for your sakes. God desires for you to be rich. It's for you. It's for your sake. That's what he's saying. Because of you. I've done this for you. So look at your neighbor and say, God desires for me to be rich. See, some of you can't even say that. It's like, well, I'm not so sure. I grew up poor, so I don't know if God wants me to be rich. Now look at your neighbor and say, God desires for you to be rich. You see, now there was an ex volume went up because it's like you believe it for your neighbor, but you don't believe it for you. It's easy for you to say God desires for you to be rich. It's a different thing for you to say God desires for me to be rich. See, God, when he created Adam and Eve, he created them in a place where there was no lack. And so to disconnect me and my heart from a sense of lack, it's where I come to God and I say, God, I give you my heart. I give you everything. Help me to be disconnected from the sense of never having enough. Because you desire that I be wealthy, rich. And Deuteronomy, he says, when you become rich, do not say, God, I've made, be, become rich in my own strength. He said, no, no, it is God who gave you the ability to create wealth. And then he says, why? Why did God create you or give you the power to create wealth? So that you can establish his covenant here on earth. And so you establish his covenant by giving where you're being fed. And that's what he carries on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, give where you're being fed. Where you're growing spiritually, give there. Because you are helping the covenant be established here on earth. Amen. Now, if you've, if you've just heard what I've said, and you are feeling obligated in any way, then you have not heard what I've said. Grace giving should be something that inspires you to freedom. Grace giving shouldn't be a sense of obligation and debt that you feel you need to pay. Amen. It's connecting to God and his goodness and the great exchange. And when you can do that for your own life, you can do it for your business. And watch what will happen to your own life and to your business when you start to operate from grace giving. Not just tipping or tithing. It goes way beyond that because this is now a hard thing. You know, it takes no faith to tithe. It takes no faith to tithe because it's just, Okay, I just give 10%. But grace giving is when I come to God with what I have and I say, God, I want to be obedient to what you want me to do. That requires faith. Because now it's a personal relationship. It's not a law that I'm obeying. Big difference. Amen. And God wants to take you from just tipping to tithing to grace giving. Amen. So look at your neighbor and say, God desires for me to be rich. Amen. Now it's like I'm starting to convince you. This morning we are starting a new series called Foundations from Hebrews chapter 6. And uh, Mama D is going to be starting the series with us. And it's a fantastic way to start the year. Amen. 
And so we're going to watch a quick bumper, and then my beautiful wife is going to come and share a powerful word with you this morning. So God bless you. Morning, church. Happy New Year. It is happy, I promise you. Your faces aren't telling me that, but I promise you it's going to be a happy New Year. Yay, I see so many family that are back. Welcome back. We've missed you, and to our guests that are still here, we do love you. I promise you. I'm sorry if we've kicked you out of the parking because of your GP number (laughs) plates. It really is good to be here, and it's going to be a great, happy new year. And we're allowed to be happy in church. You know that, hey? So if I make a joke, you are allowed to laugh. Okay, that was a test. You didn't laugh very loud. Come, church, I need you to laugh. It's happy new year. Okay, good, good, good. So like Steve said, I'm Dee, and I get the privilege of starting this new series, Foundations, And I think it's such a great start to 24. If we get this right, we're going to have a great year. And what I love about Hebrews chapter 6 is actually the heading of the chapter. In the New King James Version, the, the heading is peril of not progressing. In the New American Standard, it is peril of falling away. And in the Passion Translation, it's moving on to deeper truths. Now, doesn't that sound like a New Year's resolution to you? How many of you would like to progress? Yes, okay, all seven of us. Okay, how many of you don't want to fall away? Good, we're growing in numbers. And then, hopefully, all of us want to move deeper. Let's just see. Okay, yeah, we're all moving deeper. This is a, 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 a wonderful list. And even though it's a foundational truth, this is how we're going to move deeper in 2024, by understanding these foundations. So I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 6, 1 to 3 for you. It says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us not go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of resurrection of dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So these are the foundations of faith that we're going to be looking at. I'm just so grateful I'm not preaching in the resurrection of the dead, but... Just know it's coming. So if you know anyone, we may need a practical, I'm just saying. <laughs> but today, I'm going to be starting this story. And I love being a Neisner. Uh, people came up to us afterwards and said, this is true even in Neisner. But even in the olden days, when ships needed to go into a harbor, they had to have three guiding lights. 
There were different colors. There were different ways they could measure up. And it's the same with the gospel. We need three guiding lights that when we read the word, if we understand what we're looking at, we will never be shipwrecked. And the first guiding light that I want to remind you of is to have a look at both the epistles, the balance of the epistles, and the gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the rest of the New Testament. Because so often people focus on the epistles, but actually what happens in this creates a lot of theological debates. It also creates mysticism. And we've got to look at all this wonderful theology and balance it with how Jesus lived and related to people in the Gospels. So that is how we cause one of these guiding lights to work in our lives. The second guiding light is what we are doing in the next few weeks, is the foundations of faith. Looking at what Hebrews 6 says, understanding, I mean, some of you may not even know there are these foundations of faith, but looking at what they are, what they stand for, is our second guiding light. So as you are coming into this harbor, if you're only looking at one light, you're going to crash. If you have two guiding lights, you are quite certain you're going to get through to the harbor. But the third light makes sure you are safe every time. And that third guiding light is to make sure we are reading the Word and understanding our walk with God based on the finished work of the cross. What Jesus did on the cross for us, what he accomplished, what that covenant meant for us, what is finished, and what has become new. And when we take that as our third guiding light, we are able to read the Scripture, we're able to live our walk with Jesus, and we are able to land safely. Amen. So I want to encourage you, when you're reading, when you're studying, when you hear a message, always line things up with these three guiding lights. So the first thing we are going to be looking at with our foundation series, before I even get into the foundations, is I want to clearly, for all of us to clearly understand what is faith righteousness. Maybe you've heard this, this term, maybe you've heard righteousness, but I actually want you to understand it. In Hebrews 5, verse 11 to 14, it says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Okay, that's not this church. You guys are always trying to understand. In fact, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So here we see the writer of Hebrews is saying, Milk is this basic baby food that we call righteousness. It's something babies should have all the time. And then when you've established milk and you've established its righteousness, you then mature onto solid food, which is understanding good versus evil and all the other truths in the word. 
So I want to tell you today, we're going back to milk, because even though I'm praying, none of you are still being, having your milk in bottles. Am I right? Okay, we've all given up the bottle. I'm so glad. I always tell parents, don't worry, they will not be in matric with a bottle. It will come off. But as an adult, how many of you love a glass of milk? Or have milk in your coffee? Okay? And all those that are now stressed and all the lactose people that are flaring up, even as I say milk, don't worry. I mean almond milk, coconut milk, whatever milk you like. Okay? I'm talking milk in general. Just because we're not drinking milk like a baby, we still need to remind ourselves about faith righteousness. This is the basic, basic elementary truth of what the Word of God is based on. And I'm here to help you with that. So if you understand faith, the best definition is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Basically, faith is this deep trust that what he says we can have. That's what faith is. Even if I can't see it, I can trust him that if he's promised something, he will give it to me and has given it to me. Righteousness is the quality of being right in the eyes of God. This includes your character, which is nature, your conscience, which is your attitude, your conduct, which is your action, and your command, which is your word. It's basically in all those areas you have right standing with God. There is nothing hindering you from coming to God. That is what righteousness is. It's a big word, but that's all it means. Now, the problem in Psalms 11 verse 3, it says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And this morning, it is so imperative that we get the right foundation. It is part of a building. You don't see it. But if you've ever been an architect or you've built your own home or maybe you're a developer, you know those foundations are the most important. If they are not good enough, your house is going to crumble. And I want to show you a picture that I took in Colorado. I know it's such an amazing quality photo, but with my little iPhone, my daisy cover, as you can see. But what I wanted to show you, first let me just say, I was racing, I wasn't driving. Okay, it's America, I'm on the other side. But um, we were on an N2 kind of version, a high, highway, so this was taken at great speed. So it really is a good photo. <laughs> <laughs> but as you can see in the distance, there was a trailer park right next to this development. Literally 100 meters away from this development, there was a trailer park of very, very poor people. And as we drove past the trailer park, literally in 100 meters, there was this development on a hill. And on top of the hill, you can see there are these mansions. Some of them are even three stories high. And I couldn't believe, how do you go from a trailer park to this huge development? Until our friend told us, the reason there's a hill is it's on a land waste dump. 
That was a dump that they've now filled with soil and have sold it. Hence, it is very cheap, and they can then build the house of their dreams. They may not wake up in the morning from all the methane gas, but they've got a house. How many Christians do we know that have a perfect house on the outside, but their foundations are a dump, full of rubbish, giving off gas that may actually kill them? And so our foundations are so important. And to understand faith righteousness is one of these foundations in Romans 9, verse 30 to 33, Paul is speaking and he says, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumble over the stumbling stone, as it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Here we see it so clearly. The Gentiles get righteousness. Why? Because they believed. Where the Israelites were trying to work because of a law, they had had all these laws, they're trying to obtain all this righteousness, this right standing with God, and yet they never got it. Let's read together in um, Romans 1.17. It says, For it is righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now that's not just talking about trust, it's talking about this faith righteousness. In the Passion Translation, I love it, it says, This gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's righteousness, a perfect righteousness given to us when we, when we, anything else? What do we have to do? Believe. And it moves us from receiving life through faith to the power of living by faith. This is what the scripture means when it says we are right with God through life-giving faith. Faith righteousness is this righteousness, this right standing with God that we get when we believe. We have to believe it. Romans 3.21 but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus to all and on all who... Are you spotting the common denominator here? For there is no difference, for all have sinned. Say, that's me. That's me. Look at your neighbor, so that's you. I didn't hear you say anything. <laughs> Just in case they thought they were free. And all have fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood 
through faith, faith righteousness, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We have this gift of faith righteousness. We can trust that we are in right standing with God because we believe it. That we can come boldly into this throne room of grace, not because we've earned it, but because he gives it to us as a gift. I'm going to read one more time, Romans 10. This is in the NIV verse 2. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. That's works righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. When you believe that you are righteous, that you are in right standing because of what Jesus has done. He comes to us and he gives us this perfect gift of righteousness. It is perfect. It is whole. We just receive this beautiful gift of righteousness. The problem is that we've heard Christianity, and we, we don't understand this foundation of faith righteousness. And we get trapped into thinking that we now have to make ourselves righteous. And all that is doing is saying, you know what, Jesus, thank you for my amazing gift. I really love it. But you don't know what I did last night. And so I just need to just work on my little scarf a little bit. I got the beginner's kit because I've only just got saved and I, I just need to work on my righteousness. I'm not feeling great today. And so um, what's my pattern again? Um, am I knitting or am I purling? I don't know. And we start working again for righteousness. Meanwhile, we've been given the gift of righteousness. Why are we trying to knit scarves? It's a gift. It's beautiful. It's whole. But we sit and we say, I'm never good enough. Some of you feel so disqualified by your past that you've even got the wrong tool. You're happy French knitting. You're not even coming to the knitting party. You. Then it gets worse. There's some Christians that have been saved a long time. And then they come. Oh, I've been going to Nice the Vineyard for 10 years. None of you guys here. Let's choose another church. Oh, 
21 day fast, people. That's how I start the year. Whew, my devotional. Now we're talking. None of this beginner knitting stuff. And what do we do? We start comparing scarves. Okay, but let's just be impressed with my holiday knitting project. <laughs> okay, can we just take a moment to compare scarves? <laughs> uh, I don't take orders, okay, just so you know. <laughs> This is for my grandchild in 2014. <laughs> I've started early because I take so long to knit. <laughs> but honestly, guys, we start comparing what we've done. And then we think, well, maybe I should do more. When all we need to realize is our foundation is faith righteousness. He's given us righteousness. It's a gift. Why? Because we believe it. It's the only term and condition. When you choose to believe, he gives you this gift. I am righteous because of what Jesus did. Not because of what I'm doing. You can face the rest. You know who you are. You are righteous because of Jesus. And with that foundation of faith righteousness, we can understand the foundations of faith that we're going to read in Hebrews chapter 6. And today I'm going to just do the first one. And that is, if you read again, therefore leaving the discussions of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. That is our first foundation of faith that I'm going to be looking at. And when we understand repent means to just change your mind. It's not crying all day. It's not sackcloth. It's changing your mind about dead works. And you may say to me, Dee, what's the difference between dead works and good works? I'm so glad you asked me that question because the answer is nothing. On the outside, they look exactly the same. The difference is what's going on in the heart if you understand faith righteousness. Because so often in the grace circles, we get saved. We understand we, we are saved by grace through faith. And then we understand we have faith righteousness. And then guess what? We do nothing. Well, Jesus loves me. I don't have to do anything. Because religion makes you do stuff so that you feel love. But now that he loves me, I don't really have to do anything. No. If you read together, let's read Ephesians. It says, for we are God's workmanship, chapter 2, verse 10, Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're not here to just sit on our rusty dusties and do nothing. He's created us to go and love on people, to serve. It says here, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's involved with all these good works. 
But now why do we have to repent then from dead works? Well, I'm going to ask Jared and my precious friend Amy to come up to the stage, and I'm just going to briefly show you the difference between dead works and good works, because we have to repent from them. Okay, Jared, you're wearing black, so I'm going to make you the dead work guy, sorry. <laughs> Aren't you glad you changed your wardrobe? <laughs> okay, so Jared, I'm going to ask you to pray, and Amy, I'm going to ask you to pray. Just quietly close your eyes and just having a little prayer. Does it look different? Jared is praying with dead works because he's believing his prayer is going to get him closer to God. Where Amy is praying with good works because she knows she's close to God and she's just hanging out. They look the same. It's the motive. Works righteousness, faith righteousness. Jared is now reading his Bible. <laughs> Could be a tablet. <laughs> Come, Jared. Don't go old generation on me now. <laughs> Do you even own a paperback Bible? <laughs> Just, oh, good, 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 good. So he's reading his Bible, and so is Amy. Yes, she's, oh, oh, oh you have a real Bible. Okay, good. <laughs> Do they look the same? promise you it's not trick questions. It's just straightforward. It looks the same. Dead works. Why? Jared didn't read yesterday, and now he's feeling guilty. He didn't get his gold star. He missed his devotion streak. And so now he's trying to catch up because otherwise he's too guilty to come to God with his prayers. Dead works. Amy's reading her Bible, even though she also missed it yesterday, but she really missed it because she missed hanging out with Jesus. It's out of relationship. Not to earn righteousness. Jared is now going to write a check for $1 million. Come on, Jared. Million with two L's, eh? <laughs> Amy's doing 10 million pounds. Should we do it pounds? <laughs> By faith. <laughs> Jared's doing it out of dead works. He feels if he gives, he will be good enough. If he doesn't give, he feels guilty. Amy's doing it because she knows that all she has is his. Thank you, guys. <laughs> we have to change our mind, repent from dead work. This morning I'm here to remind you to check why you are doing stuff. Are you here this morning because it's the thing you do on a Sunday? Do you want to be seen? Do you want to tick it off your to-do list? Does it make you feel better if you come to church? 
Or is it because you know you're part of a family and there's a corporate anointing and you get to hang out with Jesus and remind yourself of who you really are? That's good works. This morning we are repenting from dead works. We are changing our mind to know that we have this faith righteousness. That we're here to create and do good works that he purposed for us. But we can't do dead works. We are not living to work to make God love us more. Or to be in right standing with him. We are going to repent from dead works this morning. I just want to read these last few scriptures. It says in Romans 10, verse 9 to 10, Though if thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you will believe it in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with a heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Can you see how important salvation is then linked with faith righteousness? In Galatians 5 verse 4, it says, Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, for you have fallen from grace. When you are doing everything in your own effort, trying to keep commands, trying to do things in order to feel approved, what you're saying is that you have made Christ of no effect and you're not relying on grace to accomplish faith righteousness. In Galatians 2 verse 21, it says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. This makes so much sense now. If you do not believe that you are righteous based on believing and what he did on the cross, and you are using a law-based system, you are saying that Jesus, our precious Savior, who came to save us from the law, the law was there to show us we can't do this by ourselves. We will never be perfect. We need a savior. But if we don't tap into that faith righteousness, then we are saying Jesus did all of that on the cross for nothing. And so this morning, we are not going to allow any of that to happen in our lives. So won't you just close your eyes with me, just where you are. The first foundation of faith is to repent from dead works. We are going to start this year afresh. Maybe you've had that, that emotion of, I haven't read my Bible. I'm feeling guilty. I haven't prayed enough. I swore. I have sinned. Repent. Change your mind. Just between you and God, just say, I'm sorry for believing like this. I'm sorry for doing it in my own work. I'm sorry that I've, I've messed up my way of thinking and I choose to believe I am righteous. 
I choose to believe you have given me this gift. If you've been negotiating with God, It is a free gift. Just while every head is bowed, maybe this morning you've never received this gift because you haven't become a child of the King. You've never given your life to Jesus. So while every head is bowed, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand. I just want to know who I'm praying for and as you declare, in your heart, by raising your hand, I want to give my life to Jesus. So if that's you this morning, if you've never received this gift of righteousness, won't you just raise your hand so that I can pray with you? Thank you. Thank you. Maybe you're online and you're in your living room. Today's your day of salvation. You say, Dee, I need this gift of righteousness and I'm going to choose to believe in Jesus this morning. Can we pray with those that have raised their hands, maybe those online? Let's pray together. Just say, Father God, thank you for sending Jesus that he died for me. Today I repent. I change my mind. I leave my life behind. And I choose to follow you. I make you Lord of my life. And I become your child. Thank you for the gift of righteousness. That I can run boldly into your arms today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Now, if you remember, we had three guiding lights. We're not finished. We had the epistles and the gospels mixed. We had this foundation of faith that we've started. And the third one was the finished work of the cross. And this morning, as we take communion, we're going to focus on that third guiding light that we see ourselves as righteous based on what he did, that he is a free gift to us. And that as we repented from dead works, he is alive in us to show us our good works. And we're going to allow grace to work through us. So won't you just get your communion elements if you need? Won't you just raise your hand if you don't have our Precious ushers will bring you one. Thank you. Just keep your hand raised. They will come to you. The word says we must do this often in remembrance of him. This is our third guiding light. Has everyone got their bread? Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, today we celebrate what you did on the cross, that your body was broken for us so that we may be made whole. We speak healing into our bodies, into our souls, 
Thank you, Father, that you gave Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for being our lamb that was slain. Thank you that by your stripes we were healed and we speak healing into our bodies right now. In Jesus' name we pray this. Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body. Amen. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your precious blood, that there's forgiveness. We choose to forgive those that have trespassed against us. Thank you for forgiving us, Jesus. Thank you that when we say we're sorry about dead works, we are forgiven. And this morning we, we come as first fruits of 2024, we lay this year before you, and we thank you that we are washed in your blood, that we are righteous, that we are whole, that we are free because of the price you paid, and we choose to believe it this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for your shed blood that was paid for us. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. And Lord Jesus, I just pray over our precious church, for every family member, that 2024 will drip with your goodness and your abundance. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for leading us and guiding us. We give you this year. Make us usable, lead us. Make us aware of people around us that we will love on purpose as you first loved us. Thank you for what you've done and especially for the gift of righteousness that we have in you. We love you with all our heart. In Jesus' name we pray this. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Thank you, church. If you gave your life to Jesus and you would like to understand it, there is a What Now book for you at the back. It's green, and one of our ushers will be waiting for you. Please, our ministry team, should I say, please go and grab one. It will just explain what it is. Otherwise, there is a ministry team up front that would love to pray with you if you need help for 2024. Otherwise, our guests are welcome to go and grab their chocolate, and the rest of us are going to pay for that at the iCafe <laughs> and have a great cup of coffee. Always remember you are highly favored and deeply loved. Have a great week. Thank you.